we're all settled in. We are going to, we're um, kicking off a new teaching series uh, today, and this teaching series is going to, basically we're launching it from today, and it's going to track all the way uh, through uh, to Easter. And I just want to say also, um, as I introduce that and say welcome to you guys, I want to say hello to everybody online uh, who's watching us um, as we begin as well. As part of uh, celebrating some of the key milestones of the church year, the big things like Christmas and the big things like Easter, and what we do is we actually um, organise a bit of a season of preparation for that. And for Easter, the, separa- uh, the preparation kind of season um, is called uh, Lent. And look, that sounds like a terribly religious word, um, but it just comes from the old English word lectine, which means spring. And so uh, this moment of preparation is like um, spring spring is to summer. It's a moment of preparation where we kind of get ourselves together uh, for something new, the, the, the summer harvest. And um, so we're going to be into a series that is going to be a time of prep as we think about Easter. Um, one of the uh, best films I saw uh, last year, 2022, it was a year of actually really great films. The, one of the best films I saw last year was the film, film Tenet. Who, has anyone seen that? Ah, oh, okay. I feel, well, this, you know, there's all kinds of sin in a congregation, and, uh, and, and uh, this board is on one of them. So uh, you've got to watch this film. It's a really uh, wonderful film. It's a very complex film. Um, it's really the plot. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you about this right now. I'm going to give it to you. Why you should go home. Forget reading the Bible and watch this film. Um, it's, it's one of these, um, it's a Christopher Nolan film, and if you haven't done Christopher Nolan, like you need to warm up to that. It's like um, having a whiskey, the first one you want to go for is not cask strength, you just want to start slowly. So it's the same with Christopher Nolan, um, very complex film. And in a nutshell, uh, it works like uh, this. Uh, the film is about how um, people from the future come back into the present uh, to attack the present. And the films are based on a character who defends um, this uh, whole situation. Now, to go any further than that is to fall down into a complex rabbit hole that in 20 minutes I can get us into, but I'm not sure we're going to get us out of. Okay? But one of the best things that happened while we were watching this film with friends um, was we got the pre-tenet briefing. And that was a bit of a chat with our friends who had seen the film before to give us an insight of the structure and the plot of the film, because if we didn't have that, we would have gone into cognitive overwhelm as the film kind of just rolls on top of you, and we would have missed uh, all the details. So all this to say that, uh, you know, as we um, hit into uh, Easter, which is all about this amazing story. It's the story about how Jesus has uh, finally launched, not in the future, but Jesus through the resurrection of Jesus, something that God was going to launch into the future has actually been launched into the present. Through the resurrection of Jesus, what was God was intended in the future, new creation, God has actually started in the middle of time. Jesus' resurrection is beginning a new creation, and the clock on that new creation starts now. 
So it's this, Easter is actually this mind-bending, this actually time-bending reality where, God has, where God, something that God has promised in the future has actually been brought back into the middle of time and begun. And this is actually the real basis of human hope. You know, how do we know? How, is, how do we know that one day that God will put all things right? How do we know that one day that God will make death and destruction untrue? We know that, and I hope in that actually going, we know that to be true because it has happened in the flesh and blood person of Jesus. What was promised at the very end of time, new creation, beginning, God has actually begun in the middle of time through the person of Jesus Christ. It's quite good, right? Yeah, it's actually quite a thing. And so I want us to prepare for that and basically begin to start living into that future and getting prepped for this kind of understanding this. And so this is what this series is about. We want to get into this by learning what does it mean uh, to practice Sabbath. And Sabbath was um, actually a key element in Jesus's life and ministry taking time to be with God and to be in God's presence is actually what Sabbath um, is all about. And it's actually not just stopping. It's actually taking time to be with God, to be in God's presence, and actually enjoy, uh, enjoy other people and enjoy creation. It's a small taste. It's a communion wafer size experience of in the and now what will one day be a part of every person's future. Got me? So in the resurrection is actually what the end of creation will look like and is the destiny of um, human beings as well. So we're going to get into um, Easter. The time of Lent is the pre-Easter briefing to get us into the story of Lent. Sorry, the story of Easter. Now, in a minute, we're going to be, um, I'm going to have Alyssa come up because we're going to use the book of Exodus as a way of understanding how Sabbath works and just getting our heads and hearts uh, right into that. But before we do that, I just want to give us a little bit of framing up for this entire series. So Alyssa's going to come soon, but I just want to get out a few things because this story takes place within a much wider context. So the story of Exodus, Exodus is the second book of a five-book series that is written by uh, the author. It's attributed to the author Moses. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Exodus is the second book in this much larger series of books. And the, and, the, and the conflict that drives the book of Exodus is this, that one day, or God called Abraham's family to be the agents through which God would restore creation and restore the multifaceted family of humanity back together. Abraham was going to be the person through whom, and Abraham's family was the person through whom God would achieve this. Now, the story of Abraham is that there was a famine in the land and they went to Egypt to avoid the famine. Basically, 400 years later, there's a new king and 
and the, um, the extended family of Abraham are now slaves in Egypt. And the problem with that is that they're actually growing and multiplying and the ruler of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, is really worried about this. And so they end up executing a plan whereby they would reduce the numbers of these, this, Israelite, this ethnic group within this country and they did that by drowning every newborn boy. Now, of course, what this means is that now that Abraham's extended family is under threat, God's plan of restoring creation now is under threat. And so what will God do? That's the plot, that's the drama, that's the conflict that completely drives this book of Exodus. Now, hold that in your heads because you've got to remember, Exodus is part of a five-book uh, series, and actually the, the real drama that happens in Exodus is part of a much bigger conflict, which is what now will happen to this family, to this nation, now that God has rescued them and planted them in a Garden of Eden kind of like land, or a promised land, and things are abundant and things are going well. Will this family forget, or the next generation forget, that they're only here because of God's sustaining presence? Will this family, will these people, enjoying this abundance, enjoying the fruitful of this land, forget that in fact they don't get to make the choices around what is right and wrong in their life, but rather that God does that. And it's actually by submitting to that rule that they will continue to enjoy this. Will in this land now, will these people actually forget that their calling was to be saved or saved from this land, this one family drawn out so that all families and all nations might know the presence and the goodness and the redeeming life that God can give. You see, the saving of Abraham's family was actually not just for the people of Israel. It was for the redemption, the resurrection, and the new life of all families. That's the big drama upon which uh, the book of Exodus sits. And Sabbath was a key way that Israel was able to keep this story alive in their hearts. Practicing Sabbath, working only six days and having a day of enjoying God's presence, enjoying the rest, enjoying the good things of a creation. Keep them anchored into this story. It also is the very thing that kept Jesus anchored into this story. And I want to suggest to you today that as we kind of dig into this, the wisdom of this can actually also help us keep anchored into this story too. So with that kind of set out as the broader frame, what I'd like to do is we're going to read a big chunk of, we're going to read the first um, chapter of the book of Exodus just to get us in the groove of it all. And we've got Alyssa to come and do that for us. So come on up, Alyssa. Exodus 1 is the reading for today. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. 
Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labour. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labour. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one who was named Shephrah and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. And together we pray. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. As I mentioned uh, at the start, the book of Exodus uh, sits here and there's a real, wants to make a really strong connection with the book of Genesis. And what it does, it does that by making um, verbal linkages. And these verbal linkages come about through the repetition of similar phrases. So for example, here we've got in the Garden of Eden story, we've got Adam and Eve listening to uh, the snake as it was described, and the snake was described as uh, crafty. Now, I don't know if you noticed that in the starting of the Exodus story, uh, Pharaoh, the one who's in, you know, who in the, in the crown of the Pharaoh was uh, which animal? A snake. 
um, says uh, these words concerning uh, Israel. Let us deal craftily with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So the, the key linkage there is this idea of dealing craftily, the snake dealing craftily with Adam and Eve. Pharaoh, um, similarly, the one with the snake on the top of his head, also dealing craftily with the children of Israel, Abraham's family. This results in the following, that um, if we can head to the Exodus slide, the Egyptians became ruthless in, in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick in every kind of field. And similarly, in Genesis, we have this uh, described um, as well, of the state of human beings, the state of humanity, and in particular, Adam's role um, under the conditions of when he listened to the snake also. And it said to the man, God said, because you've eaten from the tree, which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it in all the days of your life. Adam's life, Eve's life, because they listened to the snake or had a life ordered under the conditions of the snake, was considered a life of toil. And it's similar to the life of the Israelites, also living under the power of the snake. Can you see how this works? They're trying to say that these things are together, they're of the same piece. What it's trying to describe here in these verbal linkages is the conditions that Israel is facing currently is the same suboptimal or not intended tradition, um, uh, non-intended conditions that humanity faced outside of the Garden of Eden. Their condition of being slaves, their condition of actually having lives with bitter hard service or bitter labour is actually not what God intended humanity uh, to have at all. And it also hints to the fact that when Israel is called out from under the hard service of um, Pharaoh, the idea is in fact what God is trying to do is reject Return them, return Israel back to a Garden of Eden kind of experience. I'm just going to lose this mic. How's that? Much better. Um, so the idea is, in fact, that the, the linkage is trying to, A, say that their lives are not as God intended them to be, and the saving of their lives is to return them to a Garden of Eden kind of um, experience. And one of the key ways they are to do that is to have their lives in line with the rhythm and structure of that Garden of Eden experience. And in particular, that was um, made through or symbolised or instituted through only working six days and resting on the seventh day. A, because that's what you see God doing uh, in the first creation story. So the, the, the word Sabbath just means, it's just the regular Hebrew word for the word stop. But this weekly practice of stopping work, of stopping to do kind of, not to do nothing, but it's actually a stopping for something. It's a stopping to engage with God. It's a stopping to enjoy uh, the people around you. It's a stopping to actually enjoy creation. 
creation itself. And it's an opportunity for our bodies to also recreate, to be restored. And it's actually a potent reminder that at the very centre of the universe, uh, God has actually got things and running things uh, just fine, thank you very much. And, you know, we actually are not the centre of all things. We can receive this one day as a pure gift from God. And it symbolises, in fact, all of life is, in fact, pure gift. We don't live by our own generative uh, life. Existence, uh, our very breath, comes to us uh, as a gift. Now, what's more is that the Exodus story is a story about freeing Israel from the slavery of Egypt. I mean, the slavery of Egypt to go to a promised land, and this 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 um, institution of the Sabbath was actually en route to the promised land. It was given to them as a space in which they were to experience in the present, in a very small way, something of the future that God intended for them. So they were en route to the promised land, but on the way, it was not just hold your breath until you get there. On the way, they were to experience once every seven days, a kind of small taste of what God would one day um, in 40 years time get them to in their future. And it's so important because this becomes the ground of hope. Sabbath is not just connected to creation in the sense that we're created beings. We need to follow the kind of the, the rhythm of creation and align ourselves with the structure of creation. Actually, Sabbath was also about new creation. It was not just about the present. It actually gave us a small foretaste of the hope that one day all of humanity, not just Israel, would experience. It gave us hope in the present of the experience of new creation that the whole story of Abraham has been about. You know, in a nutshell, we, um, you know, we've got to realise that we are human beings. We're made in God's image. We're not just biological machines where you put calories in and you get kilojoules out or power out. In fact, all sorts of studies have been done um, around this, and I won't bore you with the details, but in a nutshell, you know, the, the best studies have come out of Stanford on this, which has shown that, in fact, the, the kind of optimal time of people working um, is around 50 hours a week. The one study showed that, in fact, a person working 70 hours and a person 70, um, 55 hours, there was pretty much a very, very similar output. You know, we, we actually don't, can't just keep doing output all the time. Um, the, one, um, the last occasion where people really tried to tinker with this turned into an absolute disaster. It was in France, and it was in uh, the 1700s. And what they tried to do in France, as you can imagine they can do, just have a look at the way they build cars. There's nothing like, you know, normal about that. Um, they decided what we're going to go for is the 10-day work week. We're going to crank up productivity. This is going to be amazing. And in fact, the whole experiment tanked massively. What happened was actually suicide went through the roof, mental health was off the charts, and in fact, productivity um, absolutely plummeted. Again, the point being that we're human beings, we're made in the image of God. We need times of activity and we need uh, times of rest. 
And in fact, what we find is when we go against the grain of creation is that not only does our productivity um, seem to keel over, but also our mental and emotional and physical health is also compromised. You know, there's a real cost to our human relationships when we don't live in the way that God intended humanity to live. There's actually a real cost to us personally as well. We feel disconnected from ourselves uh, also. And here's the other thing. Do you know our, our actual capacity to make good decisions and our actual capacity to empathise and to see things from another person's point of view, when we're exhausted, that compresses and virtually evaporates. We're not great human beings when it's just go, go, go all the time. Off is actually part of our on. It's part of what does it mean to be a human being. Now, if anybody knows me, they will know that as of recent, I have been, not been a Sabbath-keeping ninja. I, as I've done absolutely terrible at this. Um, and in particular during uh, COVID, um, basically when I needed this practice to be you know, rock solid and to be really, really helpful in my life, you know, that period of time way back then, Actually, that was the occasion when it completely tanked uh, for me. Now, one of the reasons is I'm not very disciplined. That could be a reason B, I'm deeply unspiritual, also quite true. Um, but one of the other things is like, um, part of my personality is that, you know, I've got a real high responsibility reflex. I'm very high in responsibility, my strength finder thing. And so between Lent, you know, 2020 and Easter 2022, you know, my brain was in overdrive doing the numbers, crunching the maths, figuring out the models, whether we're kind of, uh, what level are we on? Is it green? Is it level four? Where are we in the COVID cul-de-sac or roadmap? What, and how, do we, how are we gonna navigate all this? My brain was just, basically for two years, my brain was running a small state of emergency of its own self. And basically, it really didn't turn off. And now it's really struggling to turn off and to basically have time away. And so when I was prepping for uh, this year's um, sermon cycle, this sermon, kind of the teaching series that we're into now, I, and we do this in October, I felt God say to me, Newt, you are actually really struggling with your ability to have a decent rhythm and to really connect with me. Probably other people are in the same boat. So here we are. This is how the sermon series gets made. So we, um, we're into this. And so, so today, so as often the case, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching um, to each one of you. And so if you are like me and you're kind of either wanting to recapture um, a sense of a Sabbath rhythm in your life, or perhaps you've never started one, I'm going to fire you now with my four top tips for getting back into um, a Sabbath rhythm. You ready for this? You can take notes if you like, and it'll be up on the podcast. Okay, top tip number one. No one goes from Sabbath zero to Sabbath hero overnight. No one does this. And so you know, what I'm inviting us to do during this season is in fact experiment with the idea of Sabbath, experiment with the practice of Sabbath. And what I mean by that is you need to find a rhythm that fits your age, that fits your stage of life, that fits what you do as a vocation. Perhaps you're a shift worker. Perhaps you actually have to travel overseas. You need to kind of chuck all these variables into the machine and think about 
about how do I actually gonna do a Sabbath that fits with all of this? And the idea is to experiment with that. You're not gonna get that right first time, but the idea is to actually begin and start experimenting with it. And my um, advice here is that, look, um, just start small. You might be in a position where what you need to do is negotiate two hours of your time with your spouse and just say to them, hey, look, you do Saturday morning, I'll do Sunday afternoon. Just negotiate it out, sort out a time and just begin. Better to start small and hit consistency than to not start at all. So what I'm asking you to do, top tip number one, no one goes from Sabbath zero to Sabbath hero overnight. So start small. And again, if the word Sabbath just feels too, I don't know, religious and weird, just, you know, basically organise a time to have some time with God at the park. Call it a walk and talk or a long lunch with the Lord. Whatever you do, just kind of start. Don't, you know, there's no spirituality or there's, you know, being intense is not, an, is not a spiritual gift, okay? The idea is to spend time uh, with God on a regular basis. Top tip number two, better to start imperfect than not start at all. So often we think, oh, I'm gonna start a practice, so I'm gonna try and get into something, but what I need to do is get all the work completely finished first. I mean, don't hold your breath. You know, none of the work ever gets um, completely done. So better to start something, better to start imperfectly than to not start at all. And again, I'm asking you to experiment with this. You know, try to figure out how this fits um, with your life. I'm not asking you to add something in. I'm actually thinking about how do you take something out so that you can um, spend some time with God. And my top tip here would be, whatever you do, however amount of time you think, you can do, I'm gonna do two hours, I'm gonna do four hours and just be with God and be with other people and enjoy creation. Whatever you do, don't do washing and don't do email. Nothing feels like you're not on holiday more or nothing feels like you're entering into the holy rest of God will completely evaporate from your life as soon as you open your email or turn on the washing machine. So just don't do either of those things and you'll be um, on safe ground. Top tip number three, Sabbath is not the same as solitude. Actually, Sabbath is usually done uh, with friends or with family. It's something that p- things are done together. Now, if you, the only way you can get a break, the only way you can feel rested is by yourself, that's fine, do that. But I'm just not saying it has to be like that. In fact, most, you know, you can turn any occasion into this. If you've got a family dinner that you regularly do once a week, you can just begin by rolling maybe Sabbath from you know, into that. And do you know what? Framing is, a little bit of framing around this can make all the difference. Light a candle and say a prayer that goes like this. Dear Lord, thank you for every good thing. We trust you. We place our lives into your hands so that we can rest. Amen. Right, and then you can begin. It's really easy, right? You don't have to face east. You don't have to get ordained. You don't have to become an Anglican priest. Just start, right? Again, intensity is not your friend. Just get something going. Top tip number four, there's no such thing as microwave spirituality. And what I mean by there's no such thing as microwave spirituality is but to say that a practice by its nature takes time. And a practice by its nature doesn't bear fruit unless it is done over time, all right? Doing 10 press-ups once a month is gonna be fine, but you're actually not gonna be fit. Does that make sense? You're actually gonna get fitter, you have to do something way more regularly than that. And so what I'm saying is, just again, take the intensity off yourself, 
go for consistency, but go small and get started because it's only gonna do its work if you keep at it over time. There's no formation uh, without repetition. So why is all this important? Why is this important? That is a really fair question to ask at this point. Why is this important? Um, now, usually what we do in a talk is that you don't normally go for a big theological point at this part, but I am. Why is this important? This is super important because, you know, in the ancient world, um, you would meet a deity on a hill or you would go and meet a deity in a sacred city or you would go and meet a deity in a shrine. A god would be found in a particular holy space. But part of the point of the Genesis story, part of the point of what Genesis is saying, is in fact, all of creation is God's temple. So we don't have to go anywhere. If we're to meet God, we will only meet God through the medium of time. Time is the space in which human beings meet God. We, God is outside of time. God is infinite. We are not. We live in time. What that means is the only way that human beings can encounter God is through the medium of time. Time is the space in which human beings uh, meet God. So what does that mean? It means that you don't have to fly to Rome to meet with God. It doesn't mean you have to fly to St. Paul's in London to meet with God, although that's a good time. You don't have to go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. All we need to do is to stop. We just need to stop and we enter into time with God. And this is why God blesses time. He calls the Sabbath hallowed or holy because it's in that space. In time is where we meet God. And you know, this is such an important view of the way that the Bible views reality, that in fact, God's name, which gets revealed in Exodus, Yahweh, has actually got a time reference to it. God's name is I am. I am, or what God's name means is the eternal present. So if we, as finite creatures, are going to meet or encounter a God whose name has actually got a time reference basically hardwired into it, the only way we are able to do that is in time. So Sabbath is important to us. Sabbath, taking some time to dedicate and to actually engage with God, to engage with other people, to enjoy the amazing fruits of creation, it's only going to happen in time. And that's uh, what Sabbath is all about. And we're going to camp here for the next, next eight weeks. Believe it or not, there's more to it than just one long talk. We're going to camp here. I want to unpack this a little bit more. But so what we want to do now, keeping in mind that the only place that we can meet God is in time, is we're going to take communion together, and then we're going to take some time to worship. We're going to take some time to allow God to minister to us uh, in the Spirit and pray for one another. Because again, the key, the key here is there's no meeting God outside of the medium of time. What we need to do is to give God space in our lives and this is the place where we will uh, encounter him.